It's wonderful to be back here again, um, to be able to just study God's Word. Uh, we're into the 10th episode in our series on Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is one of the most important books that we have in the Bible. Uh, it's a book that really gives us some of the foundational, fundamental uh, doctrines of our faith. And uh, it's a book that, as a result, through understanding it, by studying it, we can really straighten out our thinking um, concerning the gospel and what the gospel is all about and how God has uh, instituted salvation and redemption for mankind, for people. Um, so, a very, very important book for us to study. And so, as we come to the Word of God today, I come with a, a heart that is full of gratitude to the Lord for the Scriptures, uh, because it's through the Scriptures that we are made wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, just welcome you to come along with me as we look into this next passage of Scripture here in the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Uh, before we read it, let me just open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the Scriptures the Scriptures through which we are made wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the Scriptures by which you instruct us, by which you give us understanding, by which you make us uh, to know you and your plan of salvation for our lives. So, Father, as we look into this passage today, I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. I ask that you would enable me to share it clearly and accurately to teach the principles, the truths that are taught here by the Apostle Paul in a way that is fitting. And so I ask this in the name of Jesus. And I also pray, Father, that you would help every person listening to this message today to be able to understand what is being taught here, to be able to understand it and apply it and take it to heart. I ask this in Jesus' name as well. Amen. So let's read the passage, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, and then we're just going to go through it and break it down, um, and I'm just trusting that through this message, the Lord will give you understanding of what Paul is teaching here, uh, because this passage is a very, very important passage. Uh, this passage is really foundational to our understanding of the gospel, so very important that we do understand what Paul is teaching here. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 21. Let's read it. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many transgressions, 
resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were appointed sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be appointed righteous. Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the purpose of this passage? What is Paul trying to teach us or show us in the words that we've read? When we first look at this passage, it may seem a little bit confusing. Uh, Paul is packing so much into this passage, and uh, as a result, it can seem to to sort of not really flow and make uh, sense at a quick glance when we read it. But if we really delve into it and we break it up, we can understand very easily what Paul is teaching here in this passage, what he's trying to show us. What he's trying to show us is how the death of Jesus Christ, the death of one man, can affect other people, how it can affect and bring justification to multitudes of people. How can the actions of one person affect so many people? This is what Paul is trying to show, because this is a question that people will bring up. How can the death of Jesus Christ, just one man 2,000 years ago, have any bearing on me and my relationship with God today? And so Paul, in order to explain the, the, the reason that this can happen, introduces a principle. It's a principle of representation and imputation. Now those may sound like big words, but we're going to explain what they mean as we go through this teaching today. We see this principle, this principle of representation and imputation at work in everyday life all around us. I'm just going to give you two examples of it. One is a sports team. If you can imagine or you you think of a sports team where just one member of a team commits a foul. When he commits that foul, the whole team gets penalized because of his uh, indiscretion. And a team could lose a match just because one member of the team commits a foul. Uh, So we see that that is uh, because that one person is a uh, representative of that entire team. And so because he's a representative of, of that entire team, his action is uh, counted as being the action of the entire team. The, the entire team gets penalized for the action of just one member of the team. We also see it, for example, in a situation where you have a government. A government represents a nation. And if that government makes decisions or uh, follows a course of action, Uh, that course of action and those decisions can either adversely or positively affect the entire nation. So what we're seeing is the decisions and the actions of one uh, group of people, or it could just be one, uh, if it's in the the case of a kingdom, just the actions of a king affect every one of his citizens. 
And so this is the principle that Paul is teaching here in this passage of Scripture. What he's telling us here is that when you look at at life and you look at what has happened, you will see that there is one man whose indiscretion, whose transgression has affected the entire human race. And this is what Paul is telling us here. He's pointing out and showing us how just the sin of one man, Adam, has affected the entire human race. And in showing us this, this, uh, this fact, he is also bringing forth a principle that applies to Jesus Christ and to all who believe in him. So what we see in this passage is that Adam's one sin has affected the entire human race. Just look at uh, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So what we see here is through one man's sin, death enters into the world. All the death that we experience in creation, that, we, that we're surrounded by, uh, is the result of one man's sin. The entire creation was plunged into death because of just one man's transgression. And uh, that death has spread to all men simply because of one man's actions. This is what Paul is showing us. Adam's one act of disobedience to God affected not only him, but it has affected all of humanity. Why is this? Because Adam, as the father of the human race, represents every human being that ever has been born or ever will be born before God. And so when Adam sinned, his sin was counted and or charged to every single human being as if they themselves had committed the sin. So this is, when we, this is why we see that when God judged Adam way back in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he wasn't just judging Adam, he judged every single one of us because at that time every single one of us was in Adam's body. So when God condemned Adam to death and said, you know, you came from dust and, and you will go back to dust, he was not just saying that to Adam, he was saying that to every human being as well. And so that's why when we were born, we were born with that sentence already hanging over our heads. It wasn't because we had done anything wrong when we were born. It was because of Adam's transgression and the fact that Adam's transgression was passed on or charged to our account as well. This is this principle of representation and imputation. So we see when Adam was cast out of the garden, do you know that every one of us, every one of his unborn children, which means every member of humanity, was also cast out of the garden at exactly the same time. We were cast out in Adam, because Adam, as the father of the human race, represented all of us. When Adam's access to the tree of life was cut off, our access to the tree of life was also cut off. And so when we came into this world, we came into this world with the condemnation and judgment that Adam had received automatically overhanging over our heads. This is the reason why we see newborn babies and maybe even unborn babies die. 
those, those babies have not had any chance to sin or commit an offense. They've done nothing wrong. And yet we see death reigning over them. Death having mastery over them. Why is that the case? We know that death is the result of sin. It is the wages of sin. So why would death have a, a power over a baby that has never sinned? Paul is teaching us why here. Simply because Adam sinned. And the effect of Adam's sin has passed on to every single one of his children. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, In Adam all die. In other words, what he's saying there is every one of Adam's children will die simply because of Adam's transgression. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. What is Paul saying in these two verses? What he's saying here is if, if you look from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, there's a period there of about 2,000 years. In fact, I think it's a little bit over 2,000 years. A period between Adam and Moses where God did not give people any commands. If you read the book of Genesis, you will see that the people during that period of time were living on the earth without any command, specific command from God. Adam was given a command. He was given a command that you would not eat from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Adam disobeyed that command and he broke God's law. As a result, judgment came on him. But the people from Adam through to Moses did not have the law. The law only came in when Moses came, which as I said was over 2,000 years after that. So we have a period of over 2,000 years where people are living on the earth. They have had no law given to them by God. Therefore, they have not transgressed by breaking any command because they didn't have any command to break. And so what Paul is saying here is, he's saying that if there is no command and people do not have a command to break, then how can you charge them with sin? That's what he's trying to show us here. Sin is only called sin or considered to be sin when someone has broken a law that prohibits them doing what they've done. It's the case in a nation. If there is no law against traffic, speeding in traffic, then how can someone be punished for doing it? So it's only when there's a law and the law is broken that someone can be considered worthy of punishment. And yet we see during this 2,000 year period, we see every person that was born died. If you read Genesis chapter 4 and 5, and you read through that, you'll see this phrase just coming up repeatedly, and he died, and he died, and he died. Every human that's ever been born has died or is on the way to death. And during that period, what Paul is showing us is that they were not dying because they had broken a command that was given to them by God. They died simply because of what Adam had done. So I, I hope that you can see what Paul is trying to show here. He's trying to show us that the sin of one man has affected 
every one of his children, every one that he represents. And that's why the world is the way that it is today. Even if there had never been another law given, the world would still be in the same position or state that it is in today. There would still be death reigning in creation simply because of one sin committed by the one man who is the father of humanity. However, there is good news in this passage as well. And the good news is this, that there is another Adam. And what I mean by that is there is another father of humanity or another head of humanity. Paul says at the end of verse 14, Adam is a type of him who is to come. So when he makes that statement, what is he saying? He's saying that just as Adam and his sin, his actions has affected the whole of humanity, so there is another whose action can affect many, many people as well, can affect humanity as well. And this man, this other Adam that he's talking about, is Jesus Christ. I want to just read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. It says this, And this is the Apostle Paul writing as well. He says, It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. I want you to notice he talks here about the first Adam, who is Adam from Genesis. We see him in, in the book of Genesis. And he says he became a living soul when God created him. But then he talks about someone that he calls the last Adam. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Why does he call him the last Adam? Because after Jesus, there is no other Adam. And Paul is using this phrase Adam, this word Adam, as a, to, to mean or talk about someone who represents humanity, a head of humanity. And so he's saying here, there is two heads of humanity. One was Adam back in the very beginning, who's the father physically of all humanity. And the other is Jesus Christ. And both Adam and Jesus Christ are heads of humanity. On what grounds? Well, first of all, they're both humans. They're both men. If Jesus Christ had not become a man, if he had not been born as a man, he could never represent humanity. Adam was the first man and he represents all of humanity. Jesus became a man. And so he too can represent humanity. But that's not enough. Secondly, neither Adam or Jesus Christ had an earthly father. In order for someone to be a, the head representative of humanity, they cannot be the children of another man. They have to stand beyond that. And so what we see is Adam, being the first created man, did not have an earthly father. And Jesus Christ was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. He did not have an earthly father either. And these are the only two men that have ever lived in history and that will ever live that have not had an earthly father. Adam and Jesus Christ. And so we have Adam and Jesus Christ standing as the only two people that are really and truly representative heads of humanity. Adam represents every human being that will ever be born or ever has been born. 
Every human being that is alive today, he represents us all, except for one other man, and that's Jesus Christ. Adam did not represent Jesus because Jesus was born of a virgin. Adam's bloodline, Jesus is not in Adam's bloodline. Jesus did not have Adam as his father. And so the judgment that came from Adam unto all Adam's children did not come unto Jesus. He stands apart from that. This is so important that we understand this. Jesus Christ, while Adam represents the entire human race that was in his body when he sinned, Jesus Christ represents a specific group of Adam's children who believe in him and have therefore been united to him through faith. Let me say that again. Adam represents every human being that would ever be born, everyone that was in his body when he sinned way back in the beginning. Jesus Christ represents every one of Adam's children that have faith in him and have therefore been united with him through faith. We'll talk a little bit more about this later on. As the representatives of humanity, their actions are imputed by God to everyone they represent. We've already seen this in the case of Adam. Adam's sin was imputed to us. His judgment came upon us. The punishment that he deserved was also given to us. But I want you to notice in verse 12, Paul uses this little phrase, just as. That's important. It's a, those two words are very significant in this passage. Just as God imputed Adam's transgression to all those who were in him when he sinned, so God will impute Jesus' actions to everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. And just as God dealt with every one of Adam's children the way he dealt with Adam, so he will deal with every person who has faith in Jesus Christ the way he has dealt with Jesus. If we can understand that, we understand the whole foundational principle of the gospel. This is why this passage is so important for us to understand as believers. Let's just read Romans chapter 5 and verse 18 to 19. It says, So then, as through one transgression, that's Adam's transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, notice those two little words, even so, through one act of righteousness, that's Jesus' actions, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were appointed sinners, even so, there comes that phrase again, through the obedience of the one, the many will be appointed righteous. What's Paul saying here? He's saying Adam's sin made many sinners. His sin was imputed to them and they became sinners as if they had committed Adam's sin. In the same way, Jesus' righteous action is imputed to everyone who has faith in him and they become righteous in God's eyes just as if they had done what Jesus did. If we can understand this, we understand the whole principle behind the gospel. What we also need to see here is that 
the effect of their actions, the effect of Adam's actions and the effect of Jesus Christ's actions on those they represent is completely the opposite. Why? Because their actions were the opposite. The first Adam disobeyed and became a transgressor and his action had a negative effect on those he represented. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, obeyed and lived a sinless life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things like we are, yet was without sin. That's talking about the Lord Jesus. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know that he was manifested in order to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So just as Adam's disobedience was imputed to and negatively affected all those that he represented, the entire human race, so Christ's perfect obedience is imputed to and positively affects everyone who has faith in him. Let's read verse 15 to 17. Paul says, But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Do you see Adamson? What does it bring? Judgment, condemnation. Jesus' obedience, what does it bring? It, br it brings grace, justification, and life. Totally opposite effects have been brought upon those that they represent because Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. What I also want to point out to you here from verse 17 is that what we see here is that Adam's obedience, or sorry, disobedience affected all, everyone in his body, every unborn human being. But not every human being is going to be affected by Christ's obedience. This is such an important point for us to make. Let's just look at verse 17 again. Listen to these words. For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There's a specific group mentioned here. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You see, Jesus' obedience only affects, only has an impact upon those who receive God's grace 
and gift of righteousness. So who is this speaking of? It takes us back to Romans chapter 3 verse 21 where Paul begins to talk about the gift of righteousness. The passages that we've been studying previously where he talks about how righteousness comes, how this gift of righteousness is received. And uh, I just want to read it quickly to you from verse 21 to verse 25. This is what we read. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Notice that. Mark that down. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Notice that last phrase there, to be received by faith. You see, everything that Jesus did only affects those who receive it by faith. The gift of righteousness only comes to those who believe the gospel and put their faith in Jesus Christ. They are the ones that benefit from Jesus' obedience. No one else does. It's those who have the faith of Abraham, who believed God's promise, and it says it was counted to him as righteousness. It's those who do not work, but trust in God, who justifies the ungodly. It's those who, like David, confess and forsake their sins and turn to God and cry out to Him for mercy and forgiveness and seek from God inward cleansing of their sinfulness. These are the people that benefit from what Christ has done. These are the ones and the only ones that God will impute Christ's obedience to. I hope that you can understand this. Let's look at a couple of verses that just reiterate this point. John chapter 3 verse 16 to 18. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, you see it's not everybody, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. Notice that. There's a specific group. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Where were they judged? They were judged in Adam. They are already judged. Jesus didn't come to judge because the world was already judged. What did He come to do? He came to provide a way for people who were already under condemnation, who were already judged, to be saved from that judgment that came on them because of Adam. Why are they judged already? Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3 verse 36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son, notice that, whoever believes in the Son, that's Jesus Christ, has eternal life. 
whoever does not obey the Son, that's Jesus Christ, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains, notice that word, remains on him. You see, we were born under the wrath of God. We were by default under the wrath of God. We did not choose it. That was the state in which we came into this world. Why? Because of Adam's sin. There's only one way for people, you and I, to come out from under the wrath of God. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Becoming united to Jesus Christ. And this means that for us to escape this wrath of God, there has to be a transferal of our lives from being under Adam and under his headship to being under Christ and under his headship. And only God can make this happen. And it happens the moment someone turns to God in repentance and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. The moment they unite themselves to Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1 verse 13 to 14, we read these words. Paul says, God has rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Do you know that this is what happens when someone turns to God in repentance and has faith in Jesus Christ. When they turn to God and put their faith in Jesus, there is a transferal that takes place from being under Adam's headship to being under Christ's headship. As he says here, we have been rescued from the authority of darkness, that is Adam's headship, and transferred into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, we come under now a different headship. And if we've been transferred into the kingdom of Christ, then that means he has become our king. He has become our leader. He has become our father. He has become the representative of our lives. And the moment that happens, his righteous action when he went to the cross and died for our sins is imputed by God to us and we receive forgiveness for our sins. Look at John chapter 1 verse 12. It says, as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. John 3 3 says, Truly, truly, this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, there's only one way into the kingdom of God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has got to become our Lord and our King and the head over our lives if we will be able to enter the kingdom of God. And even see the kingdom of God. We have to be born again. That literally means we have to be transferred from under Adam's headship. Which is what we are under as a result of our first birth. We have to be born again spiritually. So that we come under the headship of Jesus Christ. We have to be born again. It is this new birth 
this transfer from Adam to Christ that baptism symbolizes. This is why we baptize people. Because when people are baptized, that is symbolic of a complete change of their lives. They are being born again. They are dying to what they were before, and they are rising to what they are going to be in Christ. They are being transferred from under Adam's headship to Christ's headship. And the moment that happens, everything that Jesus did, all his obedience, is charged to our account. And that means that God will deal with us and treat us, not according to what Adam did, but according to what Jesus Christ did. This is what Paul is trying to teach in this passage. There are two groups of humanity alive on this earth today. And you are in one of these two groups. I wonder which one you're in. You're either under Adam, which is the, de the default position of every human being, or you are under Christ. Those that are under Christ are the repentant believers. Those that are under Adam are the disobedient unbelievers. You are part of one of those two groups today. You cannot be a part of There's not a third group for you to be under. You're either under Adam and under the condemnation that his sin has brought, which is death and judgment and the wrath of God, or you're under Christ and you're receiving the results of his obedience, which is justification and eternal life. Which group are you a part of? Just to finish off today, I just want to have a quick look at the last two verses of this passage and ask the question, why was the law added? Romans 5, 20-21 says, Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Note what Paul says here. The law was not added to reduce transgression, which is what many of us would think it was added for, that God added the law because he was trying to stop people sinning. The law was added to increase the transgression. What is Paul talking about here? You see, when the law came in, and we broke the law, we all became transgressors just like Adam. Adam received one command from God, he disobeyed it, he, he became a transgressor. Until the law was given, none of us had broken any law, because there was none to break. But when the law came in, and we broke the law, we all became transgressors. Why did God do this? So that none of us would think that we were any better than Adam. The law came in like a mirror to show us the true state of our hearts, to show us just how sinful we are. The law came in to show us that we were no better than Adam, that just as Adam, when he received one command from God, broke it, so if we receive a command from God, we broke it. And that's why God brought the law in. He brought it in so that no mouth would be able to boast before him. So that the whole world, the whole of humanity, would stand accountable before Him as transgressors. And that is the position that we come to God in. We come to God 
We cannot boast before Him. We have no merits of our own to be able to hold up before Him that He would justify us and let us into His kingdom. We have nothing to offer God. We are all transgressors. We are all just as bad as Adam was. And even though God has dealt with us according to Adam's sin, He has brought the law in to show us that we are just like Adam, our human father. And there's only one solution. There's only one way out for any of us. We have to come to God with empty hands. We have nothing to offer for our sins. We have nothing to give to God that He would forgive us, that He would release us from the punishment that we deserve and the punishment that we are under. There is only one thing that can save us. Only one reason that God would forgive us. And that is through or by the virtue of the fact that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only sinless human being that has ever lived. The only one that never broke a command of God. The only one who has perfectly kept God's law. When we put our faith in Jesus, God takes away all our sins and He imputes to us, He charges to our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we become in His eyes just as Jesus is. Isn't that wonderful? And it's on that basis that God will give us eternal life. So today, turn in repentance to God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't remain under condemnation. Don't remain under the wrath of God. Ask God to transfer your life into the, 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 the hands of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for this incredible truth. And I pray, Lord, that you will take my words and that every person that hears them would be able to understand this truth. I pray, Father, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would take these words and use them to give understanding and also, Father, to bring people to the place, the point of decision where they cry out to you in repentance, where they seek forgiveness for their sins, where they ask you to cleanse them inwardly, where they see the state of their hearts before you, and they ask you to justify them and forgive them and cleanse them through Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would use this message to bring your people into the kingdom of Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name today. Amen. It's been wonderful to be with you and to share God's word. I know that this has probably been a bit longer than normal. And it may seem a little bit complicated, but I pray that God has taken it and used it to, to just reveal this incredible truth, this foundational truth to you. So may the Lord do that. May He answer my prayer in your life. God bless you, and, and may He lead you on in righteousness and in faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.